Hey, good morning. Thanks for joining us online. We love all the online people. Really, this is a big part of our church. You are, are, are loved by us, and we're so grateful that you tune in. And I, I want to reiterate, you are a big part of the church, and that's why we continue to do this online special messaging for you. We're doing this sermon series called The Questions of Jesus, and all summer we're having Jesus, as we're reading through the Bible, bring up questions that all of us should answer. But I want to ask you a question as we get into the Questions of Jesus sermon series today. Here's the first question. Do you consider yourself a Christian? And what I mean by that is that you've claimed Jesus as Lord and you really identify. Christian means little image of Christ. If that's you and you're saying yes, then I am to be a light. The Bible says that I am the light of the world because of Jesus Christ. This little light of mine. You know the little song that we sing in Kids Rock and in, in, in Sunday school? And if you're saying that I'm Christian, that I am to be a light, and you call yourself a journeyite or a journey-in, meaning you consider this place your home, then you are buying into the mission of loving the world one person at a time, right? So if all of those are true about you, here's the question that I have. As the mask comes back and as our community goes back to um, you know, having masks, will you wear the mask? You know, a couple weeks ago, I was at the Dodger Stadium when L.A. that first day they went back into the masks. And I didn't have my mask. I hadn't been used to it. But here's the thing. If I am the light of the world, if I'm a Christian, a little image of Christ, am I really loving people by getting, a, getting in an uproar? Well, let me take it to another place because today we're going to talk about being offended. So maybe I'm offending you right now. Well, here's what your homework is today. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 7. I'm going to read the first verse, and then your job is to go back and read all of it to see if I'm reading it correctly. But here's what Paul writes to the Christian church in Rome. Here's what he says. Everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. Paul is writing this to a church that he never gets to go to until the end of his life. And he's trying to set it up so that they have the correct doctrine of following Jesus Christ, of sin as Jesus is Lord. And he's telling them to be obedient to the Roman government. Now listen, the Roman government was killing Christians as a hobby. It was the Friday night entertainment. The thing that they loved to do as Romans was to have the Christians put in a lion's den and chewed up and they would cheer that was their hobby. So when it says to submit to authority, Paul is challenging us to submit to authority and possibly put a mask on, especially as we come back to church. Now, you that are online, it's probably less of an issue. But as we get back into church, this could be something that's uh, demanded from us from our government. Wearing a mask versus being told by Paul to submit to an authority, the Roman government was against Christians. And they weren't telling them to put masks on and, you know, stay out of restaurants or sit outside. They were telling them to submit to this authority and you might be killed by the Romans. Completely different context, but context is key. Yes, masks and this virus is a hassle and there's this, this virus fatigue that we're all experiencing, but our job is to love people. And trust me, I have my own opinions, separate from what I'm telling you, but I want to be a good Christian. Today we're going to talk about offending you. Does this offend you? Talking about masks, talking about corona fatigue, I get it. 
I was reading a blog this week about this guy that's got this blog that basically hates Islam, hates Mormonism, but he hates Christianity more. And he's got this blog and it's called the, it's about unbelief. He doesn't believe and he writes 50 verses that are offensive. He's like, Jesus is so offensive, you can't believe what he says. And here's a few of them. And he's trying to offend you so you don't believe in him. Here's a couple of them. The first one says, Jesus approves torture. Matthew 18, 35 and 30, uh, 34 and 35 says this. Then the king angrily sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my father in heaven will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brother and sister from your heart. That's all that this guy put. He didn't put the whole story in all the other red letters. He just says, Jesus approves of torturing. Doesn't tell the story. Here's another one. He says, hate your mom and dad. You should hate your mother and your father. You should hate everybody in your family. Here's what it says. Luke 14, 26. In this crazy blog from some crazy guy, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Does this offend you? If this all you've ever read, it probably does. It says, love your enemy. I say to you, Matthew 5, uh, 44, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. This guy was talking about, you want me to pray and love the people that I'm against? How dare him ask me to do that? He is offended by this one more than any other. He also talks about Jesus wanting us to self-mutilate. And here's what he puts. This few, these few sentences. If your hand causes or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter your life crippled or lame with your hands or your two feet to be thrown into, etern uh, to be thrown into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. And here's the last one. I actually got two more, but they're more positive. He says, Jesus hates families. He says, another disciple said to uh, another's disciple, Matthew 8, 21 said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me now. Let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. So basically, don't go home and bury your father or mother. Let them be buried by someone else. Follow me first. And if that's all you knew about Jesus, if this is the first time you've ever seen the Bible read to you, or these are the first red letters you've ever heard in your life. If you've been an alien and you just got transplanted on your earth, welcome to Journey Online. These, these claims are weird and strange and probably offensive. Here's the one that might offend everyone even more. And this is guy in this crazy blog said, this is the one that's even worse. He says that he claims that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. He claims there's only one way to heaven. And this guy was off his rocker. Couldn't believe that's what was going to happen. And then he said, if you believe that this is the way, then you will have the power, Luke 10, 19. I have given you the authority to trample on snakes, scorpions, and overcome all the power of the enemies and nothing will harm you. He goes, if you believe in this kooky stuff, then you will have power to, to, to overcome the enemies of this world. Today we're going to go to John chapter 6 and in verse 60, the question is, how can anyone accept this? 
And if this is the first time you've ever seen the Bible read or seen any letters in the Bible uh, read to you, you have to ask yourself, is Christ crazy or is he really the Messiah? How can this really be? Well, really the message today is about offense and context, those two words. Kind of an unusual message for a Sunday sermon because we have to understand offense. People have been offended all throughout this pandemic, all throughout this political season, and all throughout the social injustice and the way that social media and the way society is shaping and molding us. So we need to, as a church, understand offense, but we also need to understand this key part, context. There's a Roman philosopher, his name's Epicurus, and he writes this. When you are offended at any man's faults, turn to yourself, turn to you, and study your own failings, and then you will forget what you're angry. Then you will forget what you're angry about. I love that. Jesus is challenging us to look within, and we're going to see that today in John chapter 6, verse 52 and on. But here's the idea. When we're offended, it's to redirect us to ourselves, not to start casting posts and, and rocks and, 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 and words at other people. I need to look at myself if I'm offended and look at the context of life. When I'm selfish and self-centered, I need to look within because that's the solution. There's an acronym FAR. When I'm in fear, when I'm in anger, when I'm resentful, that far is creating me distance from God. And that's where I need to look within. Why am I self-centered? Why am I in this far mindset? Why am I in fear? Why am I angry? And why am I resentful? When I understand that, I will have less offense and more connection to God. So let's open up our Bible, John chapter 6, and let's use this word, to really understand what God is trying to say to us. Now listen, as we start, these words that we're going to read today are highly offensive. Here's what it says. John 6 verse 52. Then the people began to argue with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They asked. Let's stop there. I know that's an awkward place to stop. But let's pray and ask God to speak through us today. Lord, we thank you for this online time. And I pray wherever anybody's at right now, however they offended they are about this message or things in this world or life, I pray, God, that you speak to us all. Holy Spirit, captivate us. Use this medium for your glory right now. Speak to us. Give us wisdom and understanding and help us get rid of offenses and help us understand context. We love you, Lord, and we ask for greater revelation today. We ask for many to come to know you today. And we ask even greater that you will transform us so that we can be free of the things of this world. We love you and we praise you. Amen. So this is the end of the verse, and we're going to read 52 all the way to the end. But there's 51 other verses, and those verses need to have context so these words make sense. What is he asking? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? These people are offended at Jesus, and they're asking him, what is he saying? Asking questions is good, but we're going to find out a little bit later what they do is wrong. So let me give you an understanding of what's going on in the 51 verses. That's called context. In the beginning of this chapter, Jesus feeds 5,000. And it says, plus women and children who weren't counted. So maybe 10 to 15,000 people were fed. That was the day before. And then the next day, the, that night, Jesus walks on water and calms the sea. 
And then the next day, people find that Jesus is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee and they chase him down and they want more from him. But they don't want what he really wants to give them. They just want more food, more miracles, more like he's some carnival act and not that he is Lord and Savior. Basically, Jesus is saying, you guys don't want me for what I really am, which is the Savior of the world. Verse 53, in these next few sentences, if this is the first Bible you've ever read, if you're just tuning in now, this is pretty shocking. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. Wow. Verse 54, but anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person on the last day. Pretty weird, but now we're getting into some positive. At least they're eating the flesh and getting to a better place. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. That's pretty creepy. Verse 56 and 57 are cre critical and we're going to come back to them in about five minutes. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. And now we get into some clarity. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate manna, the manna, but will live forever. He's saying... There was this manna given by God to our ancestors, but even they died. But the bread that he brings, they will live forever. And finally, it says in verse 59, he said these things while they were teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. What is Jesus saying here? Well, he's not telling them to eat his flesh and blood because the Jewish people aren't allowed to eat any meat with blood in it, especially unclean meat. If you look at Genesis chapter 9, verse 3 and 4, you'll see, a, you'll, you'll see some dietary restrictions about blood and skin. And you'll also see it in Leviticus 17, verse 10 to 16, where it talks about kosher food. The Jewish people don't eat meat with blood and they don't drink blood. It's actually against their faith. And so Jesus isn't going against their faith. He's trying to do something. And one of the key things for us to stay out of the offense is to put in things in context. Now, I'm not just talking about the Bible. I'm talking about things in your life as well. But as we're reading the Bible, we need to understand the concept of context. To read the Bible out of context opens up ourselves to a load of problems. Those problems pertain to misinterpretation, misrepresentation, and misapplication. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I have heard more misapplication and misrepresentation over the last year or two from some great pastors than I ever thought I would ever hear because they're trying to hit a narrative and not give the gospel because they want to tickle people's ears. And trust me, I have my own opinions and ideas about the virus and about politics, but I am called to preach the gospel and what Jesus is saying, not what I feel. My, my opinions and preferences really mean nothing compared to what God is trying to tell us. When we preach the gospel and we misrepresent or we mis mis bring misapplication, we're actually doing harm to people instead of giving them tough, tough um, words from God. And this could be offensive. People today are leaving churches and leaving this state to go to places that are all like-minded. Is that what Christians do? 
we go to like-minded places or we try to be a, 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 an outreach to the world? When we read and we read often, we read in context, we gain deeper understanding of God, we gain, we gain deeper, deeper knowledge and reverence for Him and His Word. When we read and we read more, we understand more of who He is and the same in life. When we look for more reasons why things are happening, we gain a deeper understanding. In this text here, when Jesus is saying, eat, uh, drink my blood and eat my flesh, he's not talking about it literally. He's doing a human analogy. In all of John, he uses this idea of human analogy because he's trying to help us understand that Jesus is Lord and he's God. He's one with God. We see this in Gen uh, John chapter 3 when he talks to Nicodemus because he tells Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, how am I going to go back into my mother's womb? I'm an old man. And Jesus is like, not that. You need to be born of spirit. You need to be born of water and truth and spirit. And then in John chapter 4, he talks to the Samaritan woman. He tells her, you need to, uh, you should take this water, this living water that I have, and you will never thirst. And she's like, man, I would love to have that water. Then I would never have to come to the well. And he's like, it's not really that kind of water. It's to feel that spiritual thirst, that soul thirst, not the actual physical thirst. It's different. And here in John chapter 6, he's saying the same thing. In verse 60, and this is really where the text starts asking questions, one from the disciples and one from Jesus. And it, and it says in mine, this subtitle, it says, many desert Jesus. Verse 60, many of the disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can we accept it? A lot of times when we read, like in the beginning of this, uh, this message, I read some, some, some things that Jesus said. They're out of context, but if you just read them uh, as that, as the, the black and white letters, you would say, how can we accept Jesus who believes in torture and hating mom and dad and loving your enemies and mutilating yourself and being dismissive like my family doesn't matter? How can I accept that? And now he's telling them, eat my flesh and drink my blood and you'll have eternal life. And they're like, is this even possible? Aren't you the son of Joseph? Aren't you this normal carpenter guy we saw grow up? Verse 61, here's where Jesus asks this question. Jesus was aware that the disciples were complaining. And so he said to them, does this offend you? Now listen, this isn't the 12 apostles. Jesus was feeding the 5,000. Now hundreds of people are following him everywhere he goes. You remember that there were like 72 that went out and there were, uh, you know, hundreds of people following him. Jesus has this entourage of hundreds, if not thousands of people. And now he's in a synagogue preaching and he's telling them because the synagogue's filled. Does this offend you? The question is this. Do you realize that the truth hurts? Think about the last time when you had to face truth about your life. Why did I lose this job? What did I do because I lost that job? Why am I getting a divorce? Why am I breaking up uh, within a relationship? Why is my car getting repoed? Why is there no money in the bank? When you face truth, you realize it hurts and you have to do some inner reflection. And that's what's happening here. Does this offend you? Are you offended? Please stick around because I think it'll help when we understand this. Offense and conviction are places of action. Uh, at our birthday party, I was talking to a really good friend and they were talking about being convicted. 
And I said, when I'm convicted, it's a place of action. It means I need to go out and understand what's really going on. I need to read my Bible. I need to pray. I need more evidence. I need more context. I need more. And it's the same when I'm an offense. When I'm offended, when I'm, when I'm in this place of offense, I'm self-centered. I'm, I'm thinking about myself and how it's affecting me. I'm living in fear. I'm angry and I'm resentful. And it's creating distance from God. Both of these things create action. But you know what we do? We do what these people do. We ask a question, we don't like the answer, so we desert or we leave. We quit instead of really trying to find the context of why I'm offended and what's this saying to me and how can I resolve this in, within my soul. Jesus is asking, are you offended? The questions of Jesus are meant for you to answer and he wants you to answer this today. Are you offended? Are you offended by Christianity? Are you offended by the gospel? Are you offended by Christians aligning with politics on one side or the other? Are you offended? If, it, if, if that's the case, there needs to be action so that you can get beyond that. Now let's talk about what Jesus is really saying here. He's not really talking about communion in this text. A lot of times, a couple of faith practices talk about that we need to literally consume the body of Jesus Christ and drink the, the actual physical blood. And that's just not what's being said here. Actually, communion isn't talked about in all of the book of John. Even though in John 13, 14, 15, and 16, chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, they're, 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 in this, they're, they're in the Last Supper. He never talks about this is the bread and this is the, you know, the, the, the wine and the blood. It's not that talked about at all. What Jesus is saying here, this is really cool. Jesus is saying, take the food and drink with, you take food and drink within your body and you consume it and it becomes a part of you. And that's what this food does and then our body processes it and we don't need to get into that part. But Jesus is saying, just as the same as food and drink are consumed and become part of you, I want to be consumed and become part of you, the innermost part of you. Remember verse 56, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. That's what Jesus is saying here, that we need to become uh, people that consume Jesus Christ as Lord and make him part of who we are. The Greek word here, uh, are you offended, means in, in English language, it's where we get the word scandalized. The Jews were scandalized. They were like, this is scandalous. What you're saying are scandalous. At one point in John chapter 6, Jesus says a little bit earlier in the text that we didn't read that I am the bread that comes from, uh, bread of life that comes from heaven. And they are blown away. You are not anything that comes from heaven. This is scandal. And they, they are also stumbling over these crazy words about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. The Greek word for offense is this is uh, you're scandalizing God and you're making God a joke. You must be crazy. You can't be the Christ. And that was their big struggle. Verse 62, though, Jesus responds. And here's what he says. Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man descend to heaven again? So now Jesus is going to get to a solution and help us understand what he's trying to say. But he's like, if you're worried about me saying, eat, eat, eat my flesh and drink my blood, what are you going to think when I ascend to heaven? Are you going to believe that? Or is it going to offend you as well? 
Jesus is not afraid to get into your face and sometimes tell you it's time for you to shape up. It's time for you to get beyond this offense and get beyond the unforgiveness and get into a place of action. Let this conviction move you into a greater place. And then he says this, and now we start to see it's a spiritual analogy. He says, the spirit alone gives eternal life. This is a spiritual thing. This isn't a physical consuming of flesh and blood. He says, human effort accomplishes nothing. You eating flesh and blood is not going to accomplish nothing, but it's the very words that I have spoken that will accomplish or are, are your spirit and life. So let me ask you a question. How do you experience Jesus or from what this text says, how do you eat the flesh and drink his blood? A lot of times people don't want to experience Jesus. Well, the truth is they're being misrepresented or they're being told something wrong. Jesus wants us to have experiences with him. He wants us to be a part of our innermost experiences in life with him. But that word experience kind of is mystical. And so some Christians think, oh, that must be wrong. But Jesus wants us to experience him in a way that's in the innermost part. So how do we do that? We do it through the word. We consume the word. Here's some context to help you understand it. Do you remember John chapter 1? It says, in the beginning was the word. That was Jesus Christ. The word was God and was with God. So the word is then said is Jesus Christ. And John 1, 4 says the word gave life to everything that was created. Jesus was at the beginning and he created life. And his life brought light to everyone. When we consume Jesus, when we experience him on a daily basis by eating his word and, 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 and consuming the, the blood of Christ through his word, we have the ability to become the light of the world. And then we get to that famous verse, first John, or John chapter 1, verse 14a. It says, so the word became human and made his home among us so that he can dwell within us and he can have that same life experience that we have so that when we consume him, we go, Jesus lived just like you and I. That's the context of what we're trying to say. Verse 64, again, gives more clarity. It says, but some of you do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe. He knew which ones would betray him. Jesus knows a lot more than we understand. Then he said, that's why I say people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. John chapter 6 from 44 on has some huge theological issues and questions. Some people use it to give one denominational ideology versus another. But in both, in the same John chapter 6, the, the answers for both sides are, are, are really the solution. But here you need to understand this. Many in the church don't believe all that Jesus says and all that he truly is. They believe that he's a good man, that he's a good teacher, and that he did some amazing things, but they truly don't believe all that he is and all that he says. And when we have that mindset, we miss out completely on who Christ is. But when we believe he's the Christ, when we believe he is truly God, he becomes the savior of our life and transforms us and changes us so that we're no longer walking in this old pattern, these old ways, and in this old lifestyle. Jesus is asking us today, are you offended by me? Are you embarrassed to be a Christian? Are you being convicted? Are you conflicted? He's really asking, when, 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 when stuff hits the fan, you know, 
when poo-poo hits the fan, will you leave me? Or will you believe in me? Will you believe that I am the Christ, the, the Savior of the world, that I am God, and that I'm here to transform and change the world? Verse 66, this is really the, 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 the fulcrum of, of this whole art, uh, reading. It says, at this point, many of the disciples turned away and deserted him. Many left. Many left. Instead of trying to get over their offenses and get into context, they decided that this offense is too much. They were probably convicted by the Holy Spirit. But a lot of times conviction doesn't feel right. And so we walk out of church and we walk away from God. And we're not seeking the context. You ask the question, how can this be? But did you dig in even more and go, you know, Jesus, I need to have some more understanding. Give me some more words and knowledge. You're going to see Peter does in just a second. These people aren't seeking concept. They're only interested in their offense. They're not worried about what to do with their conviction. They're like, I'm, I'm convicted, I'm offended, and so now I'm going to leave without trying to solve my problem. They left because the, 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 the Savior they wanted was a king that was going to help them financially and politically. They didn't want a Savior Lord that was going to help them personally or mentally or spiritually. They wanted a king, not a Savior. That's what we want too. Too often we want to follow someone who's going to help my pocketbook and help my, my political beliefs and tickle my ears. But really what I want is I want to be saved no, bad, no matter how bad this world becomes. So they, they desert Jesus, and what do they do? They just go back to their old miserable life, their Old Testament way of living. This old life that doesn't have real change, real hope, real solutions, because people in the Old Testament are waiting for this Messiah to come. They're believing Jesus isn't the way, Jesus isn't the truth, and he's not going to bring me the life that I want. It can't be, and because of that, they walk away. This was no surprise to Jesus. He knew and knows what's going on. He knew who believed and who didn't believe. He knows who believes who's watching this. He knows how in depth you're watching it. He knows our hearts and minds. He knows everything that we know right now. And he understands where we're at, good and bad. Let me give you some context. There's this place where Jesus heals a paralytic in Mark chapter 2. And he says this, and, and the people were offended by what Jesus was doing. Jesus knew immediately what they were asking, Mark 2.8. So he asked them, why do you have these questions in your heart? And really the, the story goes, you know, Jesus says, is it easy for me to say your sins are forgiven or pick up your mat, you're healed? And so people are offended by Jesus. The text here just says Jesus knows who we are and what's going on in our hearts. Another time in Matthew chapter 12, when the Pharisees are surrounding him and they're trying to corner him, they're saying, this man must be crazy. He's pow powered by Satan or Beelzebub, which means Satan. And Jesus is like, how could I be powered by Satan? If Satan is casting out demons, my house would be divided. And verse 25, 12, 25 says, Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew what was going on and he replied, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. One of the worst parts of our American history was when civil war started. Instead of doing it civilly, we went to war. And it destroyed a huge part of our country. And hundreds of thousands of people, instead of just accepting the truth and changing what was better for our country. 
Keeping things in context keeps us from being offended. And that's the core of this message. If you've been watching this for now 30 minutes, keeping things in context keeps us from being offended. And I'm not just talking about the Bible. If you're angry at your wife or your parents or somebody at work, have you ever asked why are they acting like that? Why are they offended or why are they offending you? Going back to that acronym, why am I fearful? Why am I angry? Why am I resentful? Why are they acting like that? We need to understand why people are treating this this way. We need to redirect it towards ourselves and see how it makes us uh, feel and how things plan out in, in the future. Verse 67, then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, are you also going to leave? So now all the disciples, all the hundreds of people that were his entourage are now walking away saying this, eating my flesh and drinking my blood is too crazy. This guy can't be true. And Simon Peter replies, Lord, to, Lord who, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One. Here, Peter gets it. Hallelujah. This is unusual because in other places, Peter doesn't get it. He's kind of quick to think and quick to kind of shun and quick to do. But here, Peter gets it. Sometimes Peter misses. Like in Mark chapter 8 when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. Because he's like, the way you're thinking is not the way that should be thinking. Or you remember at Jesus' last moment when he says, Lord, I'm going to die with you. I'm going to be with you. Nothing's ever going to happen. I'm going to go down. If you die, I'm going to die. And Jesus says, look it, at one point, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter misses the mark. But here he truly understands Jesus is the Lord. But he does make a mistake. He spoke for all the 12 apostles, saying that, Lord, where would we go? You are the way, the truth, and the life. But Jesus is going to correct him here in the last two verses of today's message. Then Jesus says, I chose 12 of you, but one is the devil. He was speaking of Judas, son of uh, Simon Iscariot, one of the 12 who would later betray him. Jesus knew uh, Judas was evil. Just like Jesus knew who didn't believe in the crowd and Jesus knows today who's online watching that kind of believe, that are offended and don't really believe, that are mocking and making a mockery of the gospel. Jesus knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. He knows who we are and he knows what context we're missing and what we need to really grow. And if you seek that context in life, I promise you, your offenses will minimize and your growth in life will explode. What would Jesus say to you today? What would he be saying in this world if he came around in 2021? You know what I believe? Many of us Christians, and I'm going to put myself in there, have become accidental Pharisees. And we would come into the world and if Jesus really walked, we would be offended by who he was communicating with and how he was actually living his life because he came for the sick. So he would be in the places where the sick are, not in the places in our church worshiping us, with us. He would be trying to help people and we would be offended. Jesus came and has come to separate us from what we think we know to give us, to give us an understanding of what we truly need to know, which he is the truth. His words are true, even though they might be offensive, like I read in the beginning. They are true. He is the only way. And in Him, we can have life everlasting. That's what He's trying to give us an understanding of. When we keep everything in contact, context, we minimize the offenses that we have in our life. 
Here's one of the last words that kind of offends this guy in this blog at the very beginning of the message. He says, don't imagine that I came to bring peace on this earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. What is that sword? The sword. Have you ever heard that the Bible is my sword? It's my weapon. This is the sword. The Bible, it says that the word of God is like this double-edged sword that pierces mar uh, joints and, and, and marrow and it separates. This is how he came to divide us and to separate us and to, to, to bring conviction and to bring offenses so that we can get to the other side and grow in our life. The sword is the word. He came to bring the word. And that word is going to separate us from sheep and goat. He's going to bring deep con conflict, deep conviction, and deep uh, offenses. But he's going to bring us to a place of truth. He's going to show us a way so that we can live a life, not only on this earth, but a life everlasting. Listen to this last uh, uh, quote I got by Bryant McGill. He says, The feelings of being offending is a warning indicator that is showing, uh, showing you where to look at within yourself for unresolved issues. It's like that check engine light or that, you know, your car's overheating or the windshield wiper blades need to or the tire pressure. In my car, it's always the tire pressure is always popping up. It's like a check engine light saying, hey, you've got some offenses. You need to look at yourself. Why are you fearful? Why are you angry? What, what selfish thing is happening within you that you're being offended by this person or this thing or what Jesus is saying? Understanding the context of people and context of life in Christ will keep you free from offense. Hopefully that makes sense to you today. Putting things in context will free us from offense and allow us to grow in a deeper way. Let's spend some time praying. Father, we are so grateful and we ask for those that are offended, those that have been offended for the last year or two, I pray that right now that you expand their context. You give them wisdom and discernment. You give them words and you give them places to read and so that they will have a better understanding of you and what your will is. I pray where there's been misapplication and misrepresentation that you bring clarity and truth and wisdom. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. And Lord, if there's someone out here that's offended and conflicted and maybe feeling convicted right now, the thing that can change your life is inviting Christ in. Maybe it doesn't seem right, but that conviction is Christ calling you into a new life. And all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you too will become a child of God. The prayer goes like this. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul and be my Lord and Savior. Free me from all conflict and offense so I can live for you. The Bible says that you died upon the cross for me and that you rose again three days later so that I can be with you forever when I pass on this life. Thank you for that, Lord. And I ask that you anoint me with the Holy Spirit right now to teach me how to walk in the ways that you have for us so that I can live for your glory. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you know, if you come to church today at 10 o'clock, we're going to be doing communion. But if you can't make it today, grab a little bit of bread and some sort of juice and do communion at your home. 
And here's what I want you to do as you're doing communion. Realize what Christ is saying today. That Christ is consumable. The elements that he gave us, this juice and this bread, the juice is crushed grapes and the bread is kneaded dough. They're beaten and they're, they're crushed just like Christ was. And when we consume them, we are one with him. We're so grateful that you joined us. God bless you. God is with you. And God loves you. Have a great day in the Lord.